in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat, church. How we doing? Good? Okay. I heard an okay. It's a little couple mumbles out there, that sort of thing. You guys aren't used to the sunshine? Is that what's going on? You're like, what is this? coming down. Uh, I'm Peter. I'm, uh, I'm the senior hat pastor here at, uh, at FBH. And uh, if you're new with us, we're incredibly glad that you are here with us. When you walked in in your program, you got a, a connect card, like Pastor Jeff said. Um, if you're new with us, we would love for you to fill that out. We want to be as available to you as you're comfortable with. Um, and so we just like a little bit of information. Know you're here. Allow us to follow up with you. Um, but you can take that connect card to our guest services table. It's right in the lobby right there. And they have a little gift for you for, for those of you who are first First time people, so you can take it back there and we will exchange uh, a gift for uh, your info. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out that's in your program uh, is this little guy looks like this. We're starting a brand new series next week. It's called Under the Sun. I'm incredibly excited about it. Um, we haven't got a chance to do a, a ton of expositional type of preaching since I've been here, and so we are actually going to be walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and so we're going to be taking that uh, all the way past Easter. We'll take a little break for Easter. And I think on Easter, we'll probably talk about the resurrection of Christ. I think it's probably a good call. Uh, and then after that, we'll, uh, we'll finish up the book of Ecclesiastes. But this card isn't for you. It's not to impress you. It's not so you can put it on your fridge and be like, oh, that's right. That's a cool graphic. No, no. This card is for you to be able to give to somebody else to allow them to know, hey, uh, we're doing this, this series at our church. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of a... It, it can be a complicated one. It can be a one that seems a little bit depressing if you don't read it through the correct eyes. But, but honestly, uh, it's a book of hope. It's a book that points us back to, to, um, to the power that we have in Christ, to Christ being a conqueror over, over uh, everything that, that we see under the sun. Right? And so that's launching, uh, that's launching next week. So we're incredibly excited about that. And I don't want you guys to keep these. Hand those to somebody else. Invite them to, to come and, and join us. Um, but we're going to jump in. We're finishing uh, week four of our of our series, um, and uh, our series is Everybody Always. And for those of you uh, who haven't been with us, Everybody Always is the title of a book by a man, uh, and his, his name is Bob Goff. Bob is a, uh, a New York Times best-selling author, and so his first book was Love Does. It's a really famous one. It's in like 30-something languages now. It's something crazy like that. Um, but this was his follow-up book. Actually, if you read the introduction to his book, it's pretty funny. He said, he said that authors oftentimes have a difficult time publishing their second book, that it's, it's difficult to, to write your second book and for it to be as successful as your first. And so Bob had actually finished his second book, and he lost the entire draft, right? His laptop got stolen. He had no copies of it anywhere. Um, he, he was kicking himself for not paying the 99 cents uh, a month to back up his, his entire year's worth of work. And so his second book actually never got published. So he was really excited to be able to skip his second book and go straight to his third one, uh, which is uh, everybody always. And so this series really is about us talking about what it looks like to love everybody all the time. And our big idea for the morning, uh, really, that, that we're driving at is that loving people all the time is difficult because our hearts are oftentimes not in the correct state to be able to love people well. So we need to understand that the condition of your heart has everything to do with how you interact with other people. In short, and this is your first slide, your heart reveals your character. Your heart reveals your character. 
You know, last week I talked a bit about uh, my kids coming out from watching movies, right? I talked about Star Wars, and after Star Wars, they were Jedis, and they wanted to defeat Darth Vader and that sort of thing. Um, for me, I, I distinctly remember coming out of a movie theater. I was probably seven or eight years old, um, and I had come out of the movie of, of the Ninja Turtles. Anybody remember that movie? And not, yeah, and not like, not like the cartoon Ninja Turtles. We're talking live action, vanilla ice, go ninja, go ninja, go Ninja Turtles, right? And, uh, and so it was me, it was my brother, and, and two close family friends, and we got out, and man, I had never wanted to be a turtle so bad in my life. I don't know if I could say that in any other context. Uh, but I mean, I wanted to be Michelangelo, right? Cause he's the funny one, but also like pretty awesome. And so I remember getting out and we're kicking and we're punching and, and then we, we all got piled into the back of, uh, of our family friends pickup truck because that used to be legal. Right. And so we're all in there with the, underneath the cover of the truck. And I remember the three other kids decided that it was my turn to be shredder right? Shredder, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Ninja Turtle franchise, and how dare you not know who Shredder is. Uh, but Shredder is the antagonist in this story, right? He's the bad guy. And so uh, uh, we're in the back of this truck and we're like fighting. And I was, I was a, a turtle foot to the face away from a bloody nose. Um, but I distinctly remember that, man, that, all I wanted to do was be a part of that. And that was what was coming out of me, right? I had just spent the last two hours doing my best to try to, try to become a, uh, a, a chemically altered turtle, right? And I want to be, and so when I left the movie theater, man, that is exactly who it is that I wanted to be. That is exactly who it is, who it is. That was in my heart, that content that I had just absorbed for the last two hours and then fleshing itself out in the form of air kicks and air punches towards my brother's face, right? And that's what it was. And for those who have kids, you're like, yeah, absolutely. I get that. Never Ninja Turtles, but I get that, right? But... The things that we had seen immediately came out in the form of pretending to be something that we weren't. The content that we, that, that we had absorbed for the last two hours, we wanted to be a part of it, but ultimately those things were a facade. Why? The, the, the reason these things came out is because whatever it is that you consume, you become. And that's your next slide. Whatever it is you consume, you become. Even just for pretend, for about 30 minutes, I was Michelangelo. For about 30 minutes, I was Michelangelo, or I was Shredder, or I was whoever it is my older brother forced me to be, right? Because that's what older brothers do. Younger, younger siblings in the room, anybody? Yeah, good. You're like, yeah, amen. And we can all attest to, to this idea in some way or another, that whatever it is that you consume, you become. For some of us, the best example is to look at your diet, right? The best example is to look at your diet. And, and if your diet consists of nothing but fast food and sugar, you become as unhealthy as those things are for you. You know, for, for some of us, uh, a good example would be the way that we talk after spending time with a specific group of people, right? Whether it be the words that you use or even the inflection in your voice. I parrot people when I'm, when, when I'm in a location for a while. Okay, so my wife and I went to Boston last March. And so, man, by the end, I wanted to be a Bostonian so bad, 
right? And it started coming out in my voice and the way that I was talking and that sort of thing. Like I wanted, because of the fact that, that, that the content, everything that I was absorbing, everything that was around me was then manifesting itself through my words, some of you are, are readers in here, avid readers, and, and the more that you read about one type of book or, or one type of genre, the more you t- talk about that type of book or those type of things that you're reading about, right? For some of you in here, uh, you, guys, you guys do CrossFit, right? And you people who go to CrossFit love talking about nothing else than what? CrossFit, like you could think about going to CrossFit and you have to have a 30 minute conversation about CrossFit, right? It's a bag on most of you guys who go to CrossFit. Look, we get it. You're healthier than us. Okay, whatever. (laughs) But there's countless examples of this type of thing. But whatever it is you consume, you become. Whatever it is that you consume, you become. And there's, there's a lot of us in here who have no clue how we have become the type of person that we see in the mirror every day. We think to ourselves, wait, how, how did I get to this place? Physically speaking, we know. Either we've, had, we, we've aged or we stopped eating healthy food or we've been apathetic. But spiritually speaking, there are a lot of us who are looking in the mirror and realizing that we aren't who it is that we want to be. And we aren't who it is that we are called to be, and we don't know why. We have a difficult time figuring that out. We go to church, right? Maybe you serve. Maybe you're in a small group, but you're not feeling like you're close to God. You don't feel like your relationship with God is a regular piece of your life, and you don't know why. And I would venture to say that your consumption level of things that are ambivalent to the things of God are greater than your consumption level of things that actually matter. And that's what, we are, that's what we're going to look at a bit today, is that the state of your heart, the things that you have consumed and made a part of your life are now things that are making their way into your life, whether you want them to or not. They are manifesting themselves in some way. The text this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 25, so you can go ahead and flip over to Matthew 25. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then we're actually going to come back a little bit. So we're start, it says 35 uh, in your program. We're actually going to scoot back and, and start in verse 34. And this is Jesus talking, okay? At this point, he says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, and you will be blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in person and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So a couple things to note here before we take a deep, a deeper dive into this passage is this is a, this is a description of the last judgment. Okay, that's exactly what's going on here. It's, it's an explanation of the parables that came immediately before this. Okay, so if you were to go back and read, read the first, you know, 33 verses of Matthew 25, you would see a whole bunch of parables lined up. And all of them have to do with this final judgment that we're talking about. This is the judgment to come in which every person shall be sentenced to a state of either eternal happiness or a state of eternal misery. 
right? That's what it's talking about here. Christ will come not only in the, in the glory of his father, but in his own glory. The scripture tells us he will be our mediator. Currently, believers and non-believers, we dwell together. Some of you are believers in this room. Some of you are non-believers in this room. Regardless of where you're at, we're just happy you're here and trying to figure out what, what faith means. But we dwell together in the same cities, the same churches, the same families, and we're not always known one from the other. I don't know the spiritual health of every person in here. You probably don't even know the spiritual health of, of a sibling of yours or a child of yours. You could probably take a decent guess, but outside of that, you don't know exactly where people are. Right? We don't know the spiritual health of one another. And scripture tells us that Jesus is the great shepherd. Right? Jesus is our shepherd. He'll distinguish between those that are his and those that are not his. All other distinctions will, be, will, will go away. Nothing else matters at the end of the age. Nothing else matters for eternity. The only thing that matters is if we belong to Christ or if we don't belong to Christ. Those are one of the two camps that every single person is going to fall, fall into. The question is then is how do we make sure we are part of those who are counted as Christ's? Right? That's, what, that's the question that people have been trying to answer since the beginning of time is, is how is it that I get to a place of eternal gratefulness, eternal happiness, rather than a state of eternal misery? How do we do that? And well, well James tells us that faith without works is dead. Right Beyond that, Galatians tells us that believers should be bearing fruit on a regular basis when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Our salvation in Christ should be evident to those around us because we are regularly showing that faith to other people. We love everybody always simply by getting into the game. And that's one of the things that we need to be very, very, very aware of is if we find ourselves on the sideline looking in on a regular basis, man, we got to get into the game. And the reality is, it's your next slide, is you'll turn into whatever you fill your heart with. You're going to realize that I said the same thing about five different times on these slides, okay, in just different ways. Because this is a truth that we have to, we have to understand, we have to get into. Matthew 12, 34, it tells us this, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of? There's another translation that says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that means whatever it is that you're feeding your heart on a regular basis, that is what is going to be coming out. When feeding the body, there's healthy food, right? And there's junk food. Both will, in the short run, produce energy. Actually, the junk food oftentimes produces more energy faster than the healthy food. But healthy pr food provides the right kinds of energy. It enhances the operation of the body's complex systems on a regular basis. It strengthens the body's resilience against disease and it increases its durability. It increases the body's longevity. Junk food, on the other hand, has essentially the opposite effect in all these areas and contributes to the breaking down of the body over time. And similarly, there are these healthy promises and there are these junk promises. These promises are what, what, what we are now consuming on a regular basis. These truths, these things that we are putting into our lives, whether there's truth or lies or whatever it is, the things that we are, that we are putting into our body, putting into our mind, that are making its way into our hearts. 
These are oftentimes these, these, these different promises. So there's healthy promises and there's these junk promises. These promises are, are what, what now we are consuming. Both will in the short run produce hope. Both will in the short run produce feelings, good feelings. But healthy promises provide the right kind of hope and promote health throughout the complexity of the human soul. Man, when we, when we, when we get truth, when we consume truth, when we're reading the word of God, when we're praying, when we're in small groups, when we're serving, when we're doing all of these things, those are the things that are healthy for the soul. Junk promises prove ultimately toxic and they lead our soul towards death on a regular basis. And both physical and spiritual nutrition are important because we always become what it is that we eat. And we have to take greater care, though, in, in what we feed our souls because so much more is at stake. So much more is at stake than looking good in your bathing suit, right? The world is incredibly aware that we feed our souls promises, which is why, like junk food, junk promises are everywhere. Log on to Facebook. Some of you are on there right now. Just scan through, right? Junk promises are everywhere. They're heavily marketed, okay? Temptation towards sin, right? Sex sells. Heavily marketed in that way. It's attractively packaged. It's tasty, though it's not truly rich. It's convenient. And they have a particular allure when you're running low on hope. They deliver a fast buzz of false hope and ruin your appetite for truly healthy promises. But junk promises always disappoint because that buzz, that high, that quick bit of energy is followed by a hope plunge into guilt, into shame, and into emptiness. Can I just take a second here? We, we, we left out an announcement, okay? And this had, don't, don't worry, I'm not like reverting back to announcements or anything like that. And then we're going to start everything over. No. If you look at your program real quick, okay, inside your program, we are, uh, we're starting a brand new ministry. Uh, back in January, we talked about the different types of small groups that we're going to be offering. Okay? And one of those small groups was largely care groups. Recovery kind of falls into that. But, uh, but we're starting a brand, new mini- a brand new ministry, and it's a small group that's geared towards sexual addiction. Okay. And so sexual addiction, largely, as I was reading through this, you can, I mean, it is line after line after line on here, right? In my message, as I was thinking through it, that sexual addiction is pervasive in our country. And I wish, I wish that this was only just a problem that was a man's problem. It no longer is. This is also a female problem as well. Actually, statistics say that seven out of 10 men struggle with sexual addiction and three out of 10 ladies do. Ladies, we don't have something for you quite yet, but men, if you fall into this category, if you fall into this camp, whether it's pornography that you're dealing with, or like I said, sexual addiction or affair or whatever it is, we have, an, we, we have a ministry that's geared for you. All the information is in there in your program. Uh, uh, we won't even see the names. The, the names won't come through the office. The registration is through the teacher that we have. Um, and so he will be doing it. It'll be off-site at his home. It's going to be confidential. But guys, man, can I just tell you that this junk promises, these junk promises that we are filling our hearts with and filling our lives with have to be eradicated. And if they're not, it's going to continue to lead you down a road of spiritual death. So please, 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 if that is you, 
shoot that email away, figure out what it is that you have to get there or how it is you have to get there on a regular basis. Good? Good? Okay, I'm going to go back to my message now. So we do recognize, though, so we were talking about a false buzz. We were talking about false highs and that sort of thing. Uh, Scripture tells us, though, that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes through the mouth of the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 8.3. You can find it in Matthew 4.4. Our souls are designed to be nourished by God's precious and very great promises. That's found in 2 Peter but these promises aren't human, human words. These promises are, are living and these promises are active. Hebrews tells us that. Proceeding directly from the living word, Jesus Christ. He's the word of God. Revelation 19 tells us he's the word of God and all the promises of God find their yes in him. Right? We sing a song on a regular basis called Yes and Amen. All of God's promises are yes and amen and they're in Christ. And so what could possibly give more hope to sinful souls on a regular basis than Jesus' promise to forgive all of our sins completely? To remove all of the Father's judgment and wrath against us. To always be with us. And to give us eternal life in God's presence with full joy and full pleasures forever. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ where we find a future and a hope. And this is why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And what, what it is that we put into our bodies, the things that we consume or the things that we become. And so that, that verse of Christ being the bread of life in John six thirty five, man, that rings even more true for us. You say, man, that is nourishment. We eat bread. We consume bread on a regular basis. And Christ is our bread of life. We recognize that as we consume him, as we, as we put his truth into our lives, that is going to give us true life. So the options here is to, to put one of two things into your heart, either that which is good or that which is bad. Right? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. And whatever it is you put into your body produces the state of your heart and more specifically produces the actions that come out of your heart. Right? And that's indeed the fruit of your spirit. Your spirit is going to produce some kind of fruit. It could either be really tasty, delicious fruit, like love and joy and peace and patience and, and on and on. Or it could be fruit that, that is, is poison. It could be the stuff that is coming out of your spirit because you have been feeding it nothing but junk promises on a regular basis and the state of your heart is diseased. And so the things that come out of it is diseased. You get to choose what it is you put into your heart and what you put into your mind. You make this decision multiple times throughout the day. It's not like a one-time thing on Sunday at the end of church. Man, Peter put praise the ABCs and I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. I put good stuff in there. Boom, I'm done. Good. I can move forward with my day now. I can continue to just poison myself with the content that I'm putting into my mind. But it's okay. I got healthy one time. That's not how it works. And honestly, if you want to figure out what the state of your heart is, and this is going to be your next slide, the way we respond to inconvenience oftentimes reveals the state of our heart, right? Think about, think about when you're, uh, I don't know, driving. Let's think about that, okay? Now, my, the, the state of my heart is incredibly different from after I do my quiet time to before I do my quiet time. And it's evidenced by when I drive my kids to school. 
right? So when I'm on my way to drive, like I drive my kids to school, I drop them off, and then I come over here and I get my workday started and that sort of thing, right? But, but there is a stop, a stop sign on, on 13th and Fargo. And I have to go to that stop sign every single morning. And there are some mornings where, well, every single morning, no one knows how to utilize that intersection, okay? Every morning, regardless of the state of my heart, okay? But there are some mornings when that stop sign is a whole lot more tolerable, where I'm giving a whole lot more grace to people who either are not, or who haven't stopped completely, who haven't signaled, or who have stopped too long, right? And the difference between those things is only about half a second, and we all know that, right? Like, like this isn't a massive inconvenience either way. But my, like, like my, my insides, like every single piece of me is like, nope, you didn't stop, or, or you stopped too long, or get off your phone, or how dare you talk to your child kindly in the car in front, whatever it is, right? The state of my heart has a massive deal. Like, like when I am inconvenienced, it completely and totally reveals the state of my heart. You want to see the state of my heart? Man, change my plans for the day. Ugh. Any of you in here who are like, these are my plans for the day? Anybody? Any of those people? Yeah, the people with their hands down are like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever comes at me, I'm cool with, no big deal, right? I can't stand you people, okay? <laughs> for me, <laughs> for me, man, I have, like, these are the things I need to get done, and if, and if things change, like, I, it is frustrating to me. If I am a minute late, it is frustrating to me, right? Like, because I know the things that it is I want to get done. So inconvenience oftentimes reveals the state, all the time reveals the state of my heart. And so for me, if I haven't spent time with the Lord, if I haven't spent time serving, if I haven't spent time in my small group, if the things that I, are, that I am consuming aren't good things, then the state of my heart is poison. And it is evidenced all the time when, when, when I have inconvenience in my life. So the question then is, is what do you need to do to, what do you need to add to your heart that will allow you to leave here today a more loving person? So when you're leaving and, and you're backed up five cars in the parking lot because somebody drops something on the floor and it's their cell phone and they shouldn't be texting anyway and you're angry at them before you even leave the church parking lot, Right? What things do you need to add to your heart to leave here today to become a more loving person? The problem is, is oftentimes we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. And I tell you week after week that it's our responsibility. It's your personal responsibility to pursue Jesus by spending time with him. To pursue Jesus by reading his word, by praying regularly. But simply stated, and this is going to be your next slide. If you want more faith, you need to live your faith. If you want more faith, live it out. Live it out. And that's a difficult thing because people are like, man, I just feel stuck. I'm like, yeah, it's because you're not going anywhere. You're sitting there in the same spot doing the same things over and over and over again, right? That's the definition of insanity, I think, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Like, man, I'm still, I'm still doing this and I'm still doing this. Like, maybe you should stop doing that and maybe things will change. If you want more faith, Live it out. Matthew 25 at 36, it says, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This is faith in action. This is people doing things for others. 
And when you put your faith in action, it's oftentimes like a muscle, right? Okay, you CrossFitters, you can listen again because we're going to talk about lifting heavy things, okay? But it's like a muscle, right? And when you first start lifting heavy things, it is hard to lift heavy things. It's difficult. It hurts. It's inconvenient. Why? Because you're literally tearing tiny muscle fibers in your arm or your legs or wherever it is that you're lifting. You're tearing those muscle fibers temporarily for them to be able to repair themselves and then grow bigger. That's how you quote unquote get swole. Okay? Your arms get bigger, your legs get stronger, all those things because those muscle fibers tear and then they repair themselves and, that, and, and with that reparation, they grow larger. In the same way that if you were to tear a blanket and then sew, two, sew those two pieces back together with a small piece in between, that blanket would grow, right? And so, so when it comes to our faith, it is hard, it is inconvenient. You have to stop what you're doing, but when you act out your faith, It gets to grow. It becomes stronger. It hurts. It gets torn. It gets repaired. And then it grows. The reason for this is is that we are connected to God through our faith. And when we love God's people, God's crown of creation, who is us, right? The pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. When we love those people well, we get a small glimpse into the love that he has willingly given us day after day after day. We serve God by serving others. And if you aren't serving regularly, if you aren't regularly serving others, then you're not utilizing the faith that we've been doing, that we've been talking about on a regular basis. You need to hone that faith. Faith doesn't plop into your lap. Just because you open your Bible and you read some doesn't mean you have more faith. I would venture to say that your faith grows when you actually have to utilize it. Your muscles grow when you actually have to utilize them. That's the way that it works. And the hard part is, is that that all of us in here, most of us in here for the most part agree with Jesus. But I'm saying agreeing with Jesus isn't enough. And that's your next blank. Don't just agree with Jesus. Do what he said. Don't just agree with Jesus. Do what he said. Man, while we've been in the midst of this series, I've gotten numerous opportunities to put my money where my mouth is concerning loving everybody always. Numerous opportunities. Sometimes I've failed. Sometimes I've succeeded. Most of the times I've failed, though. Because it's difficult. But there was one time in particular, it happened to be a little bit of both. Uh, Tuesday morning, this last Tuesday morning. Tuesday mornings we have staff meeting. Okay, that's our staff meeting day. Staff meeting starts at 9 o'clock. And I'm in my office, and it's like 8.57, and you guys all know how I felt about schedules and being like a minute late. It puts knots on my stomach and all that stuff. And then Debbie came into my office. She said, hey, we got a phone call. There's a guy who he really, really needs to talk to a pastor. I'm like, it's like, it's time for staff meeting right now, though. And she's like, yeah, I know, but I don't think this can wait till after staff. I'm like, okay. So I take the phone call. Um, and it's a guy who's largely been displaced. He's got incredible, uh, health issues. Um, and, uh, and he had, he, they were trying to figure out just how to live day to day, like what it is, what can I do next? Right. So I talked to him a little bit. I have some conversations with him and, and it turns out that the church has been not our church, but, but a lot of churches, um, have not given him the time of day on a regular basis. They've given him a handout and then left not ultimately trying to help him get to a place of not only physical health, but also spiritual health. 
And that's hard for me to hear, especially people who are outside of the faith. He was, he was raised an Orthodox Jew. He's not currently practicing any faith. Um, and so while, while we were on the phone, I said, hey, look, let me, at the very least, let me take you to lunch. I'll take you to lunch. And then I dragged Kyle along with me because I had no clue who this guy was. I didn't know if I was going to show up and he was just going to like stab me or something like that. So I don't know, in hindsight, I don't know why I brought Kyle. I should have brought someone a little stronger. But Kyle's young and spry, and so I don't know. And so, long story short, Kyle and I ended up spending about three hours with this guy, right? You want to talk about a disrupted schedule. We have a short week, right? Monday, we didn't have work. And so Tuesday, we're coming in. We're trying to get everything figured out and all that stuff. And, and we spent about three hours with this guy. We talked with him. We got him some groceries. Um, I talked with the hotel manager where he's staying, and we figured out a plan for him. And ultimately, then Wednesday night, he agreed to come to Bible study. And I had Steve Allen. Steve Allen went, and he picked him up and brought him to Bible study. And they had conversations about what faith looked like and that sort of thing. And so I don't know if he's, he's come to faith yet. I don't know if he will come to faith. I do know he needs a little bit more help. And so I have to meet with him again this week and figure out how to help him some more so he can, he's displaced. Like I said, he's from Kentucky or somewhere back over there. They all blend together. It's somewhere back over there. And so we're trying to figure out a plan how to get this guy from Hanford where physical ailments have landed him here from Hanford back to home. And it's incredibly inconvenient. And over and over and over again in my head, I'm trying to figure out, okay, have I helped him enough? Have I helped him? Have I met my quota? Have I given enough money? Have I purchased enough food? Have I gone, have I disrupted my schedule enough in order to make sure that this guy is, is, isn't completely jaded against the church? But how much more would it go if I saw this thing through and helped him get back to home? Where a church said, you know what? Forget about my schedule. Forget about costs. Forget about time. Forget about all of these things. We're going to figure out how to love you to the best of our ability. And we're going to do our best to finish strong. I share that mostly because now I actually have to finish strong. And so all of you could ask me later on if I, if I finish strong. But that's the reality of the thing. And if the state of my heart wasn't good, if the state of my heart was poison, if I was, if I was, getting, if I was consuming things that ultimately weren't good things, then man, I probably would have bought that guy lunch or bought him a gift card and said, all right, I did my duty, I am out. If he was lucky. Because it's inconvenient. Because it's difficult. Loving people is so inconvenient. And when we stop and we love everybody always, it messes up our schedules. It ruins our days. But at the end of the day, it's well spent. Because a guy knew that the church, Christ's bride, loved him when no one else would. Matthew twenty-five forty. it says this, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is difficult, and this is your next slide, because every time you are kind, it costs you something. And the question is, are we willing to give that something up? Are we willing to do that? Because like I said, we can all, most of us in here can agree with what Jesus said. We say, yep, absolutely true. I agree with Jesus, 100%. I'm all in. 
But it's not enough to simply agree with Jesus. We have to do what it is that he told us to do also. And when we do that, it costs us something. It costs us something. It can be difficult. It can be exhausting. At the very least, it takes an emotional toll. Oftentimes a physical one as well. And beyond that, it may be money that is most needed. So you help them out all the while hoping that they aren't taking advantage of you. Because we're cynical in nature. And we want to protect ourselves. And no one wants to be taken advantage of. And I get that. But if our first reaction is they're going to take advantage of me. My guess is is that we're not consuming enough truth. But it's worth it. Because we're doing these things for Christ. You know, like I said, I'm not a hero. I'm not the hero of this story, okay? This is a faith community. I was scared of the guy at first, so I brought Kyle, like I said, and I had Steve pick him up. Like, this isn't Peter, Pastor Peter, loving somebody well so everybody else could then emulate Pastor Peter. That's not true. I told you, I tried to weasel my way out of it as often as I possibly could. At every turn, I'm asking myself, okay, am I done yet? Am I done yet? Am I done yet? And God's like, no, 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 keep going, keep going, love this person well. Because like I've said for the last couple of weeks is the world doesn't care about the things that we stand for. It cares about how we love people. And so if we're going to, if we're going to make an impact on the world, we better start loving people a whole lot better. And that's what it comes back to. That's this whole everybody always series that people will know we love Jesus because of how well we show love to others. And as we get, once we get into that frame of mind, that's when world change happens. And it's not the entire world. Don't think globally. Think about the people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your world, right? You guys have these Oikos cards that we've given you. They look like this right here, right? And on the back, and I've explained it numerous times, okay? I have mine in my office, the one that I use. I have it in my office. I pray for those people on a regular basis. If, if you're new, to, uh, if you're new to, to our church, we have said, we have decided that, that God has put relationships in our life in order for us to make an impact for the kingdom of God in those relationships. I don't think that it is, that, that it is just some random coincidence that you ended up on the same, that your kid ended up on the same team with other parents' kids. I don't think it's a coincidence that you have the same barista at Starbucks every single day. I don't think it's a coincidence that you take the same route to work or you've had the same teachers. Your kids have had the same teachers over and over and over again. Not that your kids are flunking, but like one kid had a teacher and another kid had a teacher. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God has, has, has spiritual appointments for us. People that we are called to impact. People that we are called to love. And it is inconvenient. And it is difficult, but we are called to do it. So how does this work itself out in your life? You know, you may find yourself in, in one of these stages on this spectrum of faith and loving everybody. Maybe you're at phase one and you simply need to get your life right. Maybe, maybe you're at phase zero. You're not even on the spectrum yet, right? I don't know if that's a possible math nerd. You'll tell me later, I'm sure. But I don't know if zero is on a spectrum or not. I guess it is. But maybe you're at zero, 
and you haven't even come to faith yet, you haven't even decided that this thing, everything that we're hearing about this morning, everything that scripture says is true. I don't even know. Maybe that's you. We'll talk to you in just a second when we're talking through the ABCs and how to come to faith. But maybe you're at step one. And maybe you're like, you know what? I've come to faith, but my life is a wreck and I'm consuming trash and I'm consuming garbage. And the state of my heart isn't a state to be able to love people well in. So maybe, maybe with that, you just need to, man, you got to figure out what it is that you're going to do. Maybe you got to start reading your Bible because it's dusty on the shelf or, or you brought it here today and it stayed closed on the seat next to you because you don't want to sit next to anybody that you don't know. Right. So you put your Bible right there and that's all your Bible becomes on a Sunday morning. So maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to start by opening your Bible. Maybe you need to start by just simply praying. You're like, I don't know how to pray. It's really easy. If you know how to have a conversation with somebody, you know how to pray. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're phase. Maybe you're phase two, though, and you're like, you know what? I I am getting so much healthy stuff put into. Man, I'm podcasting. I'm reading my Bible every morning. I'm praying for my oikos. I'm in a small group. I'm serving with like four year olds. And if you're serving with four year olds, like that's an extra spiritual blessing that you get, right? And so maybe that's you. And so with that, maybe what you need to do is you need to step out in faith in somewhere else. Maybe you need to decide that, that you need to serve people outside of church. People that, that, that are in your oikos. People that are in your world. Because it's not a coincidence that they're there. And so you need to step out in faith and build that muscle. Get your faith muscle swole. You can quote me on that. Tweet that later, okay? Get your faith muscle swole. I'm going to regret that one later. But my guess is, is that there's some of us here this morning that, that all of us are on this spectrum in some way. And maybe you're absolutely killing it. And maybe you're like, you know what, man, my faith is good. And I would venture to say that your faith is good because you are living it out. And you're okay with inconvenience. And as you are inconvenient, you're like, you know what? That's okay because I'm loving people well and I'm loving people for the sake of Christ. Man, there are people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed on the front burner of your life to be able to love well. How are you impacting their lives for Christ? And if you aren't, I would encourage you to check the state of your heart. Check the state of your heart. Church, if we went on a spiritual diet, if we went on an exercise routine, the people on our lists would be begging to know our secret to living a life that stands up for the principles that we believe in. So one of the things that I've heard is, yeah, you can love people well, but you have to stand by your principles. Absolutely, you have to stand by your principles. You want to know how you get people to listen to your principles? You love them well. You love them well, and as you love them well, they are open to having a conversation about the things that you believe. Because you, you, you are different than the people that they see on a regular basis. Because you are consuming truth on a regular basis, and from that overflow, like we've talked about over and over and over again, that overflow of us loving God and God loving us, we get to serve other people well. And that's where, where world change, personal world change happens. People who aren't a part of church would recognize that we don't simply just agree with Christ. We do exactly what he said. 
And that's to simply love God first so we can love people best every single day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're, we're thankful for you and your word. God, we're thankful for your son and that, that he showed what loving people well looked like. He gave us an example for that, God. By, by willingly coming to earth, stretching himself into skin, set, temporarily setting aside the power and, and the majesty and deity, the privileges that come with being God. He decided to, set, to temporarily set those aside as you sent him to earth to die on our behalf. God, that we recognize that that's what love is. It is inconvenient. God, it is painful. It is time-consuming. Oftentimes, it costs us money. It costs us emotional energy. It costs us all of these things, and that's why we don't do it. And God, I pray that we would get out of our own way as the church and would be willing to love people well. God, and for a lot of us or for some of us in here, maybe we don't even know what that looks like yet because we haven't said yes to you. Maybe we're at zero on that spectrum. And God, if there's people in here who don't yet know you I, and they just feel like, you know what, God, I want to be a part of this. I want to love people well. I want to do my best to honor you. Man, my life is in shambles and, and I just want to give it to all of you because your shoulders are a whole lot bigger than mine. God, if, if those people are here this morning, I would just, we pray the ABCs here. And that they would just follow along with me and, and with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, they would say, God, A, I admit I'm a sinner in need of a savior, that I'm messed up, that I sin every single day, the state of my heart oftentimes is junk, that I'm angry, that I'm cynical, that I'm bitter, that I'm short with my kids. I mess up on a regular basis. God, I just pray we would admit that sin, that we're broken people. God, that we would be, we would believe that you did indeed send your son to the cross to die for our sins. And he didn't stay on that cross, God. We know that he conquered death and he rose three days later. And so, God, I pray that we would believe that and see that we would choose to follow him every single day. And that's what this is about. That's what loving everybody always is. As we choose to love you, every, to follow you every single day. God, it's not just agreeing with you. It's doing what you told us to do. It's doing what you did. It's being okay with inconvenience. It's being okay with stretching that faith muscle on a regular basis. God, it's loving everybody always. Father, give us the boldness and the power to be able to do that. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, a uh, couple things real quick. Don't forget, next week we're starting Under the Sun. Give this to somebody in your Oikos. If you're looking for an Oikos card, we got it at the uh, guest services table outside of that. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>